coming up in episode five of Auto Catch Up. Queensland is now offering a one month renewal registration period for car registrations. Could a 450 kilowatt Lexus SUV be coming to Australia? And rumors are there's a rear wheel drive inline six cylinder Master 6 coming soon. That and more in this week of Auto Catch Up. Well, it's another week of car news and uh, Joel, Mick and myself, Ash, are back for this week's Auto Catch-Up. Welcome, Joel. Thanks, Ash. And uh, Mick, good to have you back again. Ahoy there from the rainy sunshine coast. (laughs) Well, um, Joel... It's uh, what have what have you been up to this week uh, with the things that have been going on? Well, after all my filming last week, I've literally sort of been chained to the computer this week, trying to push out all the content that I've been uh, I've been shooting. So um, I did actually have my uh, personal car fixed um, after one of those hail storms we had recently. So I had the process of having that dropped off this week and having that fixed, um, all with paintless stamp removal. So um, car looks pretty good now that it's uh, all been finished. But yeah, that interesting talking to the to those guys about that process and and what they do and and you know just it was interesting just to just to see how it all works from from there in being a sort of a supplier in this in this hail damage world and stuff like that but they said uh they've still got a few months of work ahead and you know we had quite a big storm not as bad as what canberra did but yeah an interesting process yeah, and uh, it's it's kind of a bit scary when you start seeing them to do it uh, until you actually start to see the dents start to disappear, and then you go, okay, yeah, they definitely know what they're doing. <laughs> yeah, but they said you know uh, every almost every panel on mine was had some form of damage on it, but I could only really see it on a couple. But yeah, they said there were could have been small, minute stuff. But yeah, interesting. They just literally take over, you know, warehouses that are that aren't being used and take it over and rinse it for a couple of months, and they have um, bays set up for all the work and whatever mm-hmm. else. But it did. Come back nice and clean which is uh <laughs> saves me having to wash it there's a lot of people still driving around that uh i guess probably pick up the cheap ones or don't bother having the work done but there's yeah, exactly. pretty, pretty horrible hail damaged cars driving around on the streets oh yeah there's some I terrible ones where just... they end up all of those cars that do end up being written off because there's just too much damage even though it looks like it's just body panel work and, and no other issues i just always wonder where do they go do they just go into the magical void of, you know, nowhere? They have to go somewhere. Um, Surely they just get cheap enough to find someone. Yeah, well, people, that's... Yeah. Well, they must be because I still see them driving around, so... <laughs> some of Maybe they all end up on the Sunshine Coast. Maybe that's the secret. <laughs> yeah, that could be it. They all end up looking like uh, kids' like teething toy. Yeah. Just chew marks all through them, even ones with like split paint and things like that. So you got to assume everything gets cheap enough somewhere to to find a home. I don't even know how much you'd get for a modern car to recycle anyway, because a lot of it's recyclable. But um, I guess there's a whole other discussion mm-hmm. in there about the the price of recycled um, raw materials. But they also split them, split, you know, a lot of them will be parted out as well. You know, if you've, if you've got exterior yeah. panels that are damaged, they part out the interiors. And I see it all the time online of guys that have bought wreck cars and are just parting everything out, bits and pieces that people need and whatever mm. else. So, you know, I think that uh, that would be probably what they'd be doing. 
Yeah, even engines, like a modern engine's worth a couple of grand, so. Mm. It's five, six, seven grand, so, yeah. I just wonder if we'll see that starting to, um, if it's going to get harder or even easier with parting out cars. You know, once upon a time, everything was super modular, um, even between different models, um, but now everything is super specific to a particular car. Um, yeah. Will it either, you know, will, we, will people start to try and hunt down specific models more and more um or is it going you know thus making it a little bit harder or is it um or will we come back to something where it comes you know becomes a little bit easier um yeah, once I we move to different types of cars they've got the same uh limitations i was uh, for a customer i was working at a um, a support contract for some um some it hardware and to be able to swap out a motherboard chip, so like a motherboard's, you know, like a couple of grand. This is how these, mm. you know, a server motherboard. And then a chip itself is only, you know, a couple of hundred. But when you actually pull the chip out and put another one in, if you've got the capability, if you've got the skills, you've still got to get a um, this particular brand's technical um, support guy to come out and I can already called it branding it or something so he's actually going to mm. make the board accept the chip you can't just like swap chips yeah. in so that's how yeah. how far down they're getting which is which is understandable too because you know when you start swapping mm. things around and when all the all of these systems are all interlinked we're talking about modern cars and the way that they all talk to each other mm. um, if you part something out and put a part in that's even like the wrong model or like you know one year later it could be a, a software update that makes an airbag react to a particular sensor in a particular way so you've got to make sure that you've got the right thing in the right place to work in the correct manner if you don't do that if you don't protect that from your own perspective as a manufacturer if someone gets injured because of you know something that's happened beyond your control Hmm. you've got to be able to prove that from a warranty or a litigation point of view so yeah well, even, even down to swapping bits out like uh, taillights, I know some people have um, done that exact type of thing where they've taken mm, yeah, the life cycle update taillights, you know, the the model year comes out and there's a slight tweak to the, you know, to the taillights and they look a little bit better or whatever and, um, you know, they, they simply, they fit physically, the connectors are all the same, but they still need to get those lights coded um, yeah. so the car knows what to do with them, even though essentially on the surface nothing has changed but obviously because of those tail lights they have they'll also have their own serial number and if that car doesn't recognize you know that serial number changes it's kind of like a phone with an apple you know with an apple phone if you change the display you've got to recode it so some of the features work with it fine um yeah. so yeah that's i guess we'll probably see more and more of that but i think that's a you know other people third parties i don't are also that's a business opportunity for them to do car coding because a lot of it is just through the OBD port um, to access all of these systems. You just have to have the right equipment to do it. Um, but yeah, it's, a, it's certainly it's not as easy as it used to. Whereas you know this plug lines with that plug and sends the right voltage or, or whatever, and well you plug it in and it should work. Yeah, yeah. But again, same thing with uh, manufacturers being hesitant at letting that sort of information out and allowing you to be able to do that sort of work. Yeah. You know, like, we, like we've said many times, the, um, the place to make your money with new cars is, is servicing. And if you take that away from them, yep. sort of reducing their ability to earn cash and be able to provide the vehicle at a lower price, mm-hmm. it's yeah. all a horrible circle. But again, mm-hmm. if you don't live near a dealer, 
and you can't get the stuff done, then you've you got to be able to rely on the independent um, independent auto repairers and all that sort of stuff to be able to do the work. Otherwise, you've got no confidence in buying the product. So, swings and roundabouts. That's right. Yeah. Well, look, Mick, what have you been uh, been driving this week? Uh, I've got the Hyundai Santa Fe, the uh, 2.2 litre all wheel drive diesel. Uh, it's just the active spec, which <laughs> it's, it's fortunate because it gives me something to complain about with the car because there's nothing else wrong with it. <laughs> oh, how about the, really? la- the, the sound of that diesel, though? It's so loud. Sorry? It's the loud. diesel's so loud. Yeah, yep. Yeah, I'll admit I'm, I'm one of those people that suffers from diesel fatigue too quite quickly. Um, on mm-hmm. like petrol engines. Um, I haven't got the drive of the 3.5. Uh, is it 3.5, the new V6 for the Santa Fe's? Um, yeah, I think it is. But everything else about the car, the only thing I don't like about this car is, well, I get the diesel fatigue, but some people don't really care about that. Having to pull my key out of my pocket to do anything when you're paying more <laughs> yeah. than $45,000 for a car is kind yeah. of ridiculous. Yeah. So this has still got a key barrel, which is crazy. I still try and push really? the start button. Really? Wow. Yeah. Um, but everything else about the car is just, it's exactly the right size for me. It's exactly the right size for the family. I put in a three-meter long hardwood um, post that I'm going to put up for my daughter's netball ring out the back yesterday. So I went to uh, a local recycling joint and picked out this big longboard and thought there's no way this is going to fit but in it went I probably could have got another half foot on the end of it to be honest um, fabric seats I actually like these seats they, they look kind of cool they're sort of like a sporty techie sort of finish to them and they just I've actually used the hashtag Santa Fe active wear and it's the interiors like active wear <laughs> <laughs> um, but I mean it's it doesn't have uh, GPS because this is the base model but you still got um, it doesn't Android have GPS Auto. no no GPS on this one since yeah, when wow. does a car these days not come with the GPS no I see the base model Hyundai's and Kia's their sat nav system and that doesn't doesn't do it yeah, you just got to go one. You only got to go one level up in the uh, in the other yeah. models, but one level up in the Santa Fe is the Elite, and that's another eight grand. So, uh, wow, because even base model Suzuki's a lot of the time now come with sat navs as standard. Even though I've told them, look, you don't need to include it because people use CarPlay or Android Auto anyway, and that you know always will have up to date maps. Um, yeah, things like CarPlay and, and you know and Auto, but it's still perpetual. Perplex, perplexes me that uh, a Hyundai, given that they're usually so packed yeah. full of value, that it doesn't have it. Yeah. So. Look, if, if even if it even if they just had an option pack for upgrade the GPS and proximity. Hmm. Um, remote and stuff because that's really that's the only thing that holds me up on on one of these Santa Fe's is being able to have um, you know push the button to open the door on your car instead of getting stuff out of your key mm. uh, out of your pocket mm. Mm. and a push button start that makes everything feel more modern as soon as you have to pull that key out it's just like yeah. why am I doing this again mm. but it, it drives fantastically I, I went uh, down a local um gravel roads the other day with the four-wheel drive lock-on it's just it's fantastic eight-speed auto hasn't gone over i did briefly go over um 
10 litres per 100Ks the other day, but that was from a very short city run when I was sitting in town waiting for traffic to get out of the way. But normally it's around 8 on the highway. I think I got about 6.2 or something on the highway when I picked it up uh, last week. So very tidy package. Not surprised. Not un- uh, it's not surprising that they've um, received quite a few awards for these, um, mm. and they're always in the in the top rung of, of um, competition when you see comparisons. Just a great all-round vehicle mm. in general. Just that key it's really gets to me. It's a really broad <laughs> price range as well. Like that that start price is oh, yeah. forty four, and the Highlander's sixty three. Yeah. Yep. Um, I've driven. I've driven the Highlander too. Um, you know I, what I really like about the Active is that it's got high sidewalls. Mm-hmm. Because I've actually the when I first got the Active one, um, I drove one last year, and I took it along a. Um, I've got a little test track hidden out the back of Eagle Farm. Hidden. It's just this bit I found um, where I usually take commercial vehicles so you know the Hilux the Colorado the Triton I take them around this little test track it's got some nice nice steep inclines some minor rush outs uh, sorry washouts um, a little bit of loose dirt and even some mud that I accidentally found when I was there with the Santa Fe last time um, <laughs> and it really it really handled itself ridiculously well you know like it just felt at home but as soon as you put the highlander on there i didn't take it down that same track but i took it somewhere that was very similar and the low profile tires just immediately constrain it to only go on highways you know what i mean <laughs> like the it, I, I like high sidewalls on cars if i'm going to do anything other than sitting on normal roads so gravel i like having high sidewalls as well as long as the rest of the car is fairly well disciplined and this santa fe hits that mark pretty well i think more and more manufacturers are actually opting for higher profile tires anyway in general even performance cars because i'm i'm seeing more and more um thicker thicker tires being put on those those wheels even on you know cars that come with 20 21 inch wheels from the factory and um, not only does it look better having slightly chunkier wheels particularly on a performance car because it just looks like it's meant to be like that um, but yeah. most of the time it just means a, a much more enjoyable ride for everybody across a huge number of surfaces because all of a sudden there's there's just a little bit more give um, in that you know that unsprung weight area of the car yeah, look, as, as long as your car is more disciplined, is, is disciplined enough, you, you can you can play with those sidewalls and not have any any great compromises. Yeah, you can you can get benefits out of it. Mm. This this does roll a little bit, but I mean, it's an SUV; it's not a race car or anything. And I still feel satisfied, sort of. Um, well, not driving it at the same speed I drive the wagon, but. Um, I shouldn't say speed. I don't actually don't speed very often, but the amount of effort that I throw the cars into corners, mm-hmm. um, the Santa Fe is is perfect for its role. I think. Yeah, and I think that's, that's the important thing. To I didn't mean that to be a pun. That just that just happened. Sorry. <laughs> 
But I think with a lot of cars, it's really important to to remember like what that purpose of that car is, and to evaluate it against that. There's no point putting a thirteen thousand dollar entry level car and saying, well, it, it doesn't have all of these things. It doesn't drive like a you know like a four eighty eight Ferrari um, because it's not simply it's not designed to do that role. It's designed to do a specific thing and to meet a specific price point, and you know we're meant to look at it and everybody even when you're buying a car you're meant to evaluate it against but what do I want to do it you know what do I want to do with it and does it do that for the price that I want that's usually what I do the second part that you were saying there what do I want so I don't drive cars considering their position in the price point and what everybody else thinks they need in that car I look Mm. at it and think if I was going to buy this car you know if I I needed to do an SUV type role what would I expect to get in the product and and does it meet that so I don't yeah I, I you know I try and apply my own little um, wants and needs and all that sort of stuff to it and see how because, because I it, it actually kind of frustrates me sometimes when I read articles where people compare things straight out against competition next to them rather than whether or not the product performs well in its own right um, yeah mainly because when you're driving a car you know you don't when you purchased a car you're not comparing it to all the other cars that are in the market at the same time you've just got to be in the car and get on with your day-to-day life and make you happy in that moment it's not like oh gee i wish you know i had got the car with the extra 15 kilowatts because i really need it now going up that hill nobody knows that nobody cares um you know the extra half a second to um 100 kilometers an hour that doesn't really make any difference either it's really just you know people are picking cars based on emotional choices before they even get there all they need to know is when they do actually put their money down and get it are they going to be happy on the other side so it's really Mm -hmm. if dealers can get somebody into a dealership who already are looking for that particular car I think it's your sale to lose if, if, if the buyer's actually got the money to buy something because all these other little nitty gritty itty bits and pieces I don't put a lot of empirical data in any of my reviews or anything because it, they don't really matter what really matters is what happens to the car when your seat, when your ass is in the seat. Everything else is just, you know, pub fights. I don't know. Well, that's just the way that I test drive them anyway. <laughs> yeah, look, I think it's important. Well, it's, it also gives, um, when doing those reviews, it just gives a different perspective as well. Um, and that's why people, when you're looking at research data, a lot of people read a handful of different reviews from different locations because everybody has their own different methodology of how they evaluate something. And um, if you just read one single review, it's usually not going to give you absolutely everything that you want um, to find out about that car, particularly during this time where you're not going to even though manufacturers are bringing cars out to you and um, they're, they're doing anything to, to get you behind the wheel to experience a car and ultimately purchase a car um, yep. you're going to have less hands on time with a vehicle today during COVID-19 than you will typically outside of that so capturing you know reading as many reviews from different locations um, is you know, is a good way to do it and we need those different approaches to I guess best understand 
how that vehicle is going to fit into you know into your life as a, yeah. as a customer. Oh yeah, I, just, I certainly don't. I, I'm I'm all for lots of data, just from other people. Yeah. I just don't yeah. like including it. But I mean, <laughs> like that's still. I don't. I don't know how the other people's brains think, but when I look at a car, I always look at, which is funny because I usually when I go to a dealer and I ask them these questions, some of them don't know the answers. How much torque oh, has the car got? Yeah. How much does yeah. it weigh? And how much power has it got? Yeah. And then when you, if they can't answer those three, they're already starting to sink down a little bit with my. Mm. Mm. confidence in their ability to find the product that I want anyway then I ask yeah. them how many gears it's got if they can't answer that <laughs> it's it, it's all overdone you know. oh but they'll tell you oh it drives good though it goes really well oh it well. drives really well yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> it's like please but you know I'm, I, uh, for me the way my brain works I've got a sort of ratio of how much torque I think a car should have for the weight mm-hmm. and also yep. the size of the tyres and all that yeah. sort of thing that yeah. I've got my own set of parameters and I guess other people's mm-hmm. parameters aren't necessarily set in that empirical data um, type format it's in something else like oh it drives nice I, I, don't, mm-hmm. know, I don't know how you measure that um, but it's got lots of space <clears throat> they talk a lot about features now like you see advertising of cars they don't talk about oh, I've got this massive engine I've got this massive uh, I've got this amazing economy even the economy I, I'm surprised isn't sort of pushed a bit more these days they just say I've got a hybrid or I've got a whatever I, I think I think there's a weird thing going on with that type of data these days is um, mm. that I th- I would have thought when talking to different manufacturers that economy would be a bigger deal um, amongst yeah. customers' minds. Like, because manufacturers are doing research all the time on, well, what do customers want to know and how do they need to communicate that? And I think it really shows when we start to look at more and more of the economy figures that even so every time I do a review I publish what the claimed um, what the claims fuel economy is versus the the reality of the fuel economy and even the claimed fuel economy is as good as what I would expect for a lot of cars given the size weight and engine that's in it and I yep. think that's reflecting reflective of a following Dieselgate at Volkswagen, where the the chase for ever improving and meeting certain numbers is you know harder to, to get by because you can't really cheat a certain system that measures yep. and tests those things. Um, but I don't think it's really sitting that high on the priority list, even though fuel prices are always at the forefront. You know, anytime you watch the the evening news or anything, there's always a discussion about fuel prices or updating when and when isn't a good time to buy. But I hate, when I hate seemingly talking to people, I know. But when seemingly talking to people, it, it it doesn't seem to really be high on the list. Neither is safety stuff. Um, nobody really mm. talks about the number of airbags anymore. They they it's and it's kind of a weird time because now's the best time to be talking about that because there is like even if we just look at safety features. There's such a big disconnect amongst all of the different manufacturers and the different cars, even in the same segment, of what cars come standard with and also how those different safety systems work. Um, Because you could very well have two cars in your garage and from a similar, you know, they could have been bought last year and yet have two vastly different sets of safety equipment, yet they still mm. will probably be a five-star ANCAP 
safety rating as well. Yeah. Um, maybe, so, that's, maybe that's the crux of the issue is the fact that there is so much. There is so many things to have and to understand that just blurting them out now is kind of... Um, irrelevant, like it sort of washes over the customers. They don't, mm. they don't get it anymore. Like you know, you you see the starts, you press the start button in a Lexus, and watch the lineup of features that go through the system check at the start. There's like yeah. forty five thousand of them in a line. Um, it, yeah, I guess it doesn't mean so. It's just all static now. You just expect yeah. that a five star car is going to have everything. Yeah, um, that's right. You're not, you're not going to miss out. No. So even so, yeah. this week I've been driving the Outlander uh, Fev XC, so the plug-in hybrid uh, electric vehicle. Uh, yeah. Um, so it it's been an interesting. I've only only picked it up on Thursday, so really haven't had that much of a chance apart from when trying to hunt down my lost lost wallet, which I did recover by the way. Um, it was still <laughs> at home. <laughs> it was. It wasn't anywhere. I thought I could have, all that. it could have been. Technology After can do that. everything, but yeah, find your. That's wallet. right. Yeah. Um, but overall, it drives really nice. Um, the Fev itself has improved greatly from when it was first introduced back in, I think it was 2012 or 2013. Um, mm. Back then, it was a really, um, really basic hybrid electric vehicle where you accelerate more than 10% and all of a sudden the the combustion engine will be kicking in and, and supplementing the power. Now, yep. the current FEV has um, about 30 to 37 kilometers worth of electric range. And as long as you're not really planting your foot to accelerate, it will stay in that full electric mode. And even up to highway speeds, it will stay and use that electric range wow. until it runs out and then kicks back to the combustion engine. And so, so, so that side has been really good. Um, but it, it drives really nicely. It's super smooth. Um, the indicators, if you have even a hair of air conditioning going on, you can't hear the indicator. So you'll be one of those people where... You'll be driving, driving along, along the, the road with on. the indicator yeah. on, and and everybody else will be going. How can you not? How can you be driving with the indicator on? Surely you'll what's, hear it. But what's your uh, what's your universal signal for indicators left on when you I just when leave you're going past to see someone? People are in. So I, I tried. I try to do that with people with headlights because a lot of people with daytime running lights and the illuminated yeah. dashboards won't realize they don't have their headlights on. Actual headlights and they don't on. Even, yeah. yeah, and they don't even pay attention to that. So I just give up now. I just let them figure it out on their own. Um, I, I do the tricky people... thank you. So the, <laughs> the left indicator, right indicator, left indicator. I don't know if that actually works for them or not. It does occasionally. No. Uh, but. Yeah, so that's that's one of those things where it's just one of those quirky things where um, particularly coming from the 2 Series BMW the week before where the indicators were extremely loud and, and in stereo, they'd be pumping out of both sides. Um, it wasn't just on the driver's side, so everybody knew the indicators were on. Uh, but... So yeah, it's good size. It's they've really improved the the battery technology. The battery doesn't lift up previously. The battery used to take up a big chunk out of your boot space as well, so your boot level would sit higher. I um, mean, you'd yeah. lose a heap out of the footwell. So there is still a bit of. It's kind of like a, a terrain map on the f on the floor of the second row because of the batteries and the, the electronics. But it's much better than it used to be. There's obviously no third row in the hybrid 
electric no. models um, because of that extra battery space, even though you've still got cup holders and the provisions for that third row, um, which is kind of funny. Oh, that's, for t- that's for tailgating. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. The, the drive-in <laughs> movies that aren't open at the moment. Yeah, that's right. Um, <laughs> The, they've also improved the uh, the home charger used to be only a 15 amp plug and unless you're driving to a caravan park I don't know anybody who would have a 15 amp plug at home um, and so at least I now do, that's but, yeah. that's back but you're but you're different you're in the sunshine I'm rural. different world yeah, I'm that's a rural right park probably yeah <laughs> um, most people in the city where the Outlander f- probably makes the most sense um yeah yeah they've now gone to a 10 amp plug which is much better the only thing is though that the 37 you know even best case scenario 37 k's of electric range that kind of really suits i think most people or even for me i live fairly close to the city but not right in the city and that would be pretty much like one trip one way not a return trip and so you're kind of missing out on a little bit of the advantage, I think, of the hybrid electric that you sort of buy. Yeah, because maybe. you're really only yeah. getting that benefit one way. And um, but if you I can kind of park like- somewhere and charge, then you know there's an opportunity to be able to do that. Yeah, we just we just don't have that infrastructure still. Like even my closest charger is at Hamilton North Shore, and that's like twenty five kilometers away. Yeah, and right. there's nothing, you know, there's nothing else near there for me to go and do. Um, so it's kind of like I'd be driving there to charge to to empty it on the way home again. What about um, shop- what shopping centres are near you? <laughs> uh, so there's a there's a couple of shopping centres nearby, but. It really depends on. I have to double check, but not all of them have all of the adapters that are needed. Okay. Um, we still we still have yeah, that issue. There's about three. Yeah, there's three or four different charging standard. You know, for the for the plugs and different charging speeds and everything like that. And um, not everywhere has them. There is a Coles near me that actually has a an electric vehicle charging has electric vehicle charging bays. Coles at Rochdale. But you have to supply your own cord. And unfortunately, most cars don't have that bring, you know, DIY cable for those types of chargers. They'll usually just yeah. have the home charger and you'll have to spend, a, you know, it, I, I've seen it ranges anywhere between like 150 to $300 to buy the cable that you'd need to plug in um, to do that. I think the only car that I've seen so far that has included that is the Nissan Leaf. They give you the home charger and the... Uh, kind of, I guess you could call it like the extension cable version um, that you can plug straight into a charger. Uh, so that's um, so that's kind of a letdown. I think you'd have to spend a little bit more, but it is an option um, for those that want it. Or you know, if if you have a local shop it, that that does offer something like that. Um, but overall, I, like, I, I really like it. It is. It has come down in price since that first came out, so it is about fifty six thousand. So in the Exceed model, so that's the top of the law of the line model. So you do get, um, you know, your nicer leather seats and um, all of your safety gear and everything like that. So it does have lane departure, blind spot, active cruise control. They've, the, got, they've got a pretty good size too, don't you reckon? I reckon they've. It's yeah. sort of that mid SUV, and it's got a little bit extra space. I mean, it's very boxy sort of shape, but it's a very practical. practical it's shape. just on the verge of. It still looks like a, a modern car. It's 
just on the verge of just yeah. starting to look outdated um, because that Outlander shape has been around for a little while. They've just had, they've done kind of like uh, what they've done with the with the Pajero, I guess you could say, where they've done very minor modifications over the years to keep that shape relevant. Um, yeah. And probably the thing that gives away its age the most is just the infotainment system. The screen, um, it is on a big wide screen, I think, which we're seeing in a lot more cars these days. It is, you know, the resolution's a little bit lower. It still has CarPlay and Android Auto and everything like that. So it's still going to yeah. keep everybody happy from that perspective, which is really great. But that's probably just the one spot I would want to see updated in a, in they, a they've got the coolest like digital that. clock in the world, I think. Well, I haven't driven one for a while, but see if you can find the digital clock on it. The full I'll face have a look. clock. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty cool. But overall, like it's it's pretty good. So I've I've enjoyed it so far. I need to do some more driving. Um, to do it but on the highway on the road it's very smooth handles all the bombs very well um, it does have all wheel drive it does have a sport button I don't know how many people would be using the sport button in a in a plug-in <laughs> hybrid um, yeah. particularly when you've got such a small amount of range you probably want to save it for um, actually <laughs> just a little bit of sport yeah that's it um, but yeah it's definitely got everything I think most families will have except for just that third row if you really are a family that needs that third row but otherwise you get a good amount of storage space in the back. Um, it's got an auto tailgate, which is a little bit finicky, but it, it works perfectly well. Um, yeah, so that's... Just a, just a that's little bit that. of props to them while we're here, though. That's one of the first plug-in hybrid vehicles in Australia, the mm. Outlander. So, um, you know, props to them for being early adopters and really sticking with it. I, I see a few around. I don't see a, um, a million of them, but um, it's a bit of courage on Mitsubishi's behalf there. So, although I have seen and, a, and it's good a MIE to see that they V2. have been improving it. Yeah, I've I've seen a few of those, and I and I and that doesn't have a huge amount of range either. And no. um, for those who don't know, it's a uh, the IM. So IMEV, it's a tiny little compact car that's fully electric. Um, they did sell it. It was about $40,000 when it was sold here, I think, or even more yeah, yeah, I can't remember. Um, when it was first sold. But um, very, You'll know was, if you've seen one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they're quite unique. Very peculiar. Um, but I do see some moving around, and I, and I have always wanted to try and stop them and ask, oh, how, how, how's it going today? Because I haven't built them in a while, and that battery, you know, those batteries, and those those cars surely would be getting on in age now. Um, yeah. Well, there's one locally here uh, up, up at the sunny coast, and I've talked to the owner of it. Mm-hmm. His other car is a... Um, I think he's got an EH, an old one he's done an engine swap in that he loves and he's done up and taken a lot of care with. But he, he just loves driving his Mitsubishi around mm. just because it's so easy. You know, it, it, he doesn't go out that often. When he does, all he does is drive down the hill drives into town, buys stuff and drives back up again. So it's still getting Which is exactly um, what they're used perfect for. regularly. Yeah, exactly right. That's right. Mm. So yeah. But yeah, it's it's good to see that Mitsubishi have kept, even if they haven't done any drastic design changes with this Outlander, they have certainly done things to improve the system that's in it itself. Um, yeah. And they haven't just let it remain static you know in its first form because it's expensive to keep that development going um, or anything like that so that's that's really good um, and I'll just touch on one other thing which I've been doing this week is also um, with more and more people doing work from home and um, and uh, I guess for those 
itching to go for a drive. I've been working on racing sims and everything like that. Um, I've been playing with the Linksys Velop mesh Wi-Fi system. So one, particularly if you've got a larger home, if you've got an office in different areas, um, it's one of those ones where you can set up different bases throughout your home and it'll create create an all-house Wi-Fi network. Um, So it's great. Um, Yeah, if you've got a larger area and rather than just having a Wi-Fi router just stuck in one corner of the home and you get hot spots and weak spots all over. um, Yeah, I need that that badly. Yeah, so I've I've been playing with that um, and been pleasantly surprised so we did have the google wi-fi mesh system before but it only works on so for those who understand the different bits of tech so that's um just a a dual band set of routers and it uses one of those bands as the as the wireless backhaul to connect all of the different nodes but with the linksys it's a tri-band system so it is has greater capability of serving those different devices that you have without taking bandwidth away from them as well so that was the one thing that i was really curious about to go well how how can I improve the latency that I expect, you know, that I experience from when I'm playing a racing simulator game? Because we know that latency is a big bugbear for a lot of people, particularly for for those for those of us who live in Australia um, and racing other people around the world. Um, but also maintaining, like, for me, I'm recording, uploading, and doing all sorts of different things with media. So how can I improve that speed? And um, so far, it's been pretty good. It has improved speeds a little bit. Um, I do have a couple other smart items, you know, internet of things around the home, and I've only found one set of devices that seem to have a documented issue with the Linksys, and apparently TP-Link and Net, um, and Linksys are working on fixing that. So that's just the one bugbear I have at the moment. Um, but they also, but one thing that's promising is coming is uh, they are going to be releasing support for Apple's HomeKit soon, so you'll be able to control all of your internet of things and put them on a secure part of the network um, for greater levels of privacy. Um, as well, so, but that's a coming feature. But overall, the key thing that I wanted to, to test was: is it going to improve my network speeds? You know, allow me to get the most out of my internet connection, as well as improving latency. And based on the stats, I've went from uh, before it's getting about twenty-three to twenty-five seconds of latency from my main computer, which I do my my gaming on, down to about fifteen milliseconds of latency, um, which is a good improvement given that our internet connection at the base gets about 13 milliseconds of of latency so a good step and a lot closer to you know to sort of what we what i would be getting if i was plugging straight into the modem um at the wall which is good so you've got that so what what was the component that you added a linksys is that a so it's the linksys velop mesh wi-fi so it's a right you, you you, you take out the, the router. So say if you've got a Telstra connection, you'll have yep. um, like the NBN box and then the modem router or the router, sorry, that plugs into that NBN box yep. or your ADSL modem or anything, whatever internet connection you have. And um, when you get a link, like when you get one of these mesh Wi-Fi systems, you disconnect the internet you know this the isp supplied router and plug this in 
and right. um, and you set it up. You can control it all through your app um, of what devices are allowed to connect to it, um, how you manage it. You can kick people off. You can set um, controls for the kids. So if you want to say, well, sorry, kids, your internet's going to cut off at ten o'clock, um, <laughs> you can set that up. Or if you can, you know, you can sort of set up different um, boundaries and fences, geofences, I guess you could say, of in terms of their internet. Um, their internet browsing. So you can also yep. do those things. But what it does is, um, so the three pack covers about, they they all speak in American speak. So it's about 6,000 square feet of house. Um, our, I did the calculation at, at home at the moment, we're about 8,000 square feet. So we're a little bit bigger. Um, but when you get strategic of where you're placing the nodes um, you can sort of work out exactly and and sort of push those boundaries a little bit so I've virtually eliminated most of the dead spots we have um, within the house which is which is quite good but it's, um, but it's very handy. It is a little bit expensive. It can range between about six to $700. But if you're a fairly heavy internet user and you've got all, or if you've got a lot of people at home, um, it's one of those things where you'll set it up and basically set it up, forget, and let it do its thing. Well, I've got, um, I've got three, kids, for a while. three kids doing homeschooling via the internet this week. So yeah, that sounds like... Actually, that even sounds like a potential um, home office upgrade that I could claim on tax anyway. There's been a lot of talk about that, actually. With So, they were talking about um, having a, a one-off uh, payment. It's probably a state that I'm not in um, for people setting up homeschooling because mm-hmm. the amount of extra infrastructure that you need to have, they're talking about. Like, I've bought a couple of extra desks, for example, that doesn't really matter yeah. too much, but... Um, the computer we've got to use for education because, you know, you pay all your fees for school education and all that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, that money obviously now isn't going to the infrastructure that it normally was. Obviously, you still got to pay the teacher's wages and the school admin and all that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. But you're not you're not utilising their hardware anymore. No. So, hmm, I might try that on, Mr. Taxman. Yeah, so it's uh, we'll, we'll have a... I'll also publish a more a fuller review um, once I get a little bit more time uh, with it onto Daily Auto Fix as well so um, if you're also in the same boat where you're wanting to improve your network connectivity and um, also make it a little bit better working from home um, stay tuned and we'll sort of post some stats and some figures as well um, that's right it's not for racing network performance. home office only yeah. <laughs> that's right that's right <laughs> Fortnite has easier on splitting it. the personal private usage split you know when you're talking to the tax man um, but anyway let's get stuck into some news and we I guess uh, for a week of um, again it's a mixture of there's a lot of news but also not a lot of news um, in the sense of uh, a lot of car manufacturers are still wanting to go ahead with car launches but without being able to um, it's without travel and everything like that it's very hard to launch a new model as well um but one that uh joel found um and you can probably speak to a little bit more was a bit of a salvage operation which when you look at the photos are very very distressing for anybody who's a fan of um big american trucks (laughs) yeah yeah it was um it's a story i remember a while back and uh um because it happened a couple of years ago and it's based around a container ship that lost um, a bunch of containers in a storm um, 
in um, just off the coast of Queensland um, a couple of years ago, and as a result, you know, because of these containers, they thought that it may not be an issue because of where they were, but then they decided that it, it needed to be removed. So there's, you know, close to there's over a dozen of these containers. I think there's even more that um, that have been literally. Uh, left on the bottom of the seafloor for the last couple of years. Um, and so they decided to, it's a process where it's actually a fight between the um, owner of the vessel and Maritime Service, uh, Maritime Safety Australia. And so, yeah, literally um, the government has decided, or the guys behind um, Maritime uh, um safety have decided that they need to bring them up. So it's quite an interesting process. They've actually gone and created this um, recovery uh, device, which actually can go to the seabed and literally they can put a full size container into it and then bring it up off the bottom of the ocean. So they've been wow. working on the process for the last couple of months and they've they've brought quite a few, few of the containers up now. They've, they went and ser- redid a, a, a search through the area to locate them and all. And, and if you're really interested, have a look at um, Maritime Service, Marit- Maritime Safety Authority's <laughs> website, which is just amsa.gov.au. And they've got a full story about it and lots of interesting stories and videos. Mm. But they've literally been finding these containers, bringing them up. Um, they bring them up in this basket. After they find them on the seafloor, they cut holes in them to help drain the water. So, because they weigh like tons and tons with the, with the water on board, so they bring them up just above the um, surface and then literally sit them there. And you can and you can there's some great video of the water just pouring out of them. They then put them on board the boat and they don't touch them. They leave them and then they're taken to Newcastle uh, to the port of Newcastle, where the containers are then opened in a. Um, in a in a in a safe area, and the contents are then removed, and if need to be, separated, destroyed, or you know, and then recycled the what they can. Yeah, and like there's some stuff that's got some batteries on board and things like that. But the thing that piqued my interest was when I first saw it, and it was in it's been in the media a bit this week. Was that um, the guys from Performax in Queensland uh, were talking about it, and their two of their trucks, their um, Silverados that they had a couple of years ago on their way to it were in these containers that ended up uh, destroyed and, and falling um, uh, to the bottom of the ocean. So these things have been sitting at the bottom of the ocean for the last couple of years and um, you can actually see some photos on Never the Never driven, slightly water damaged, yeah. great deal. <laughs> but it's interesting just to see, if you look at a couple of photos, Low just yeah. what has um, interesting, like the chrome... Some of the chrome mirrors and other parts, you can see the way that just the way that they have um, just reacted mm, to the seawater. Yeah, mm. so it's a very sad sight. They've, they've only posted. You can only see one of them. I think there must be both of the trucks because there were two of them that were in the container. We can only see the one at the front, which is that lovely blue Silverado that you may have seen yeah. floating around. But um, yeah, they've been working hard on it to uh, to bring them up. Um, but yeah, they're talking about up to up to sixty uh, containers that um, have ended up overseas. Oh, actually, eighty-one were lost overboard. Mm. There you go. Um, and there was even a, even a full container of uh, tires as well. Yeah, um, which is just a bit of a sad sight to see, knowing that they yeah, I wonder how look like some they are in the, yeah in the salt water. 
I just think like anything, when it's been an insurance write-off um, and this sort it of stuff, matter. it doesn't matter. No matter what, even if they'd been underwater for a day or two, they just, because of like you were saying before, Mick, with the, the fallback on warranty and things like that, if there's yeah. anything where they're not... Um, they're not 100%, then you can't guarantee that they're like the day they came out of the factory. You just have to write them off and destroy them because you just can't have that legal recourse. If something was to go wrong and a tire lets go and you find out that the salt or whatever had decided to start perishing the, the rubber. So, yeah, unfortunately- look, if if any um, manufacturer out there with a big thumping V8 performance car wants to loan us that, we'll happily uh, dispose <laughs> of some it. of those tires with um, some burnout. <laughs> See how long they last compared to a, a fresh set. Oh, all for science. Sure. That's it. I think anything you can get away with anything if you say that it's for science. That's right. Yeah. Uh, what does it say on the churros? Are they? I couldn't. I was trying to have a look at the uh, picture. I couldn't tell. see. It's really hard. Green and white stickers. There's some big rubber. Uh, Performance rubber. There you go. That's even more of a reason to yeah to do something. <laughs> yeah, they look like an interesting trade pattern. So yeah. Uh, but now, next item of uh, discussion we've got come through was um, an interesting one. Is uh, Queensland is now offering a one month renewal option for registrations uh, for vehicle registrations. So to help those with people um, impacted by COVID nineteen and, and needing to help manage their their cash flow a bit better and obviously keep their car on the road um it seems that you can only do it via direct debit so you can't just prepay it and then keep you know keep logging onto the website and paying it they have to you have to set up a direct debit option um but it actually works out that it's no it's i think it's only like a just over a dollar um more if you pay it each month rather than paying for the full 12 month option so I think even if anybody's wanting to to think about improving their cash flow maybe it's not a bad option for us you know for a very small kind of I guess you'd say premium for for paying it month to month rather than 12 months or three six or nine months in advance yeah, it's just a, obviously just a cash flow type thing. Because what I'm yeah. thinking is that if it's if they're going down to a one month, I, I looked at it as like a, a flexibility type um, yeah. opportunity in which I was wrong. Uh, so I thought it might have been, you know, you just you register it for a month just so that you can use the car. But and then if you're stuck at home for for two or three months. You don't need to register it for those two months. That's not that's not what it is. No, just no. in case anybody was thinking that you could just not pay your register for two months because you're not using the car. Um, that is that's not happening. <laughs> but that would have been that would have been kind of good. Uh, essentially, well, that's, a- that's the big discussion at the moment. I think a lot of people are having is um, we're seeing in the in in America a lot of um, car insurance companies and and um, states giving refunds or discounts or anything because of the lower usage. Apart from Yui, I think that's really the only insurer at the moment who's stepped up to the plate and to offer their customers any sort of discount or even, um, you know, refund on the lack of usage. And it would have been nice to see any state or anybody to to offer some sort of discount or, like we said, flexibility, um, given that, yeah, we're just not driving at the moment. And sure, roads still need to be maintained. That doesn't stop 
um, needing done, or even now's the best time for roadworks to be done because there's a lack of cars on the road. And so, obviously, having that cash flow through from registrations (laughs) does help that. But... It, um, it is a pretty tough time for a lot of people and even though, yeah, this does give a little bit of a cash flow, um, really? I guess it really mainly impacts people if your car reject comes up now or in the next few months, but a lot of people yeah. have already paid it and probably, you know, could be 11 months away from needing to pay for the regio again and, won't, and it won't help them because um, as far as I'm aware, you can't even get a refund on that and then switch to the one month either. Um, if that was you know, to help people, so yeah, it's a bit of a bit of a funny one at the moment. It is a good option, but it isn't. I think probably some relief that people probably would be hoping for at this point in stage. Yeah, but it, it is. That's a good point though. When you put it in that twelve months window, you know the the difference between spending seven hundred dollars now when you're getting nothing. Um, yeah. It is a big difference, so there is a there is a good benefit there, for sure. It does make you realise though that it's still. I think I, I worked it out for a, a four cylinder car with no no concessions or anything like that. It still works about sixty to eighty a month, and when you break it down each month, you realise, oh gee, Rego is really expensive every month um, <laughs> compared to just paying it one off. Um, Especially for you, my you Subaru that I never drive. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so that's that. It's it's a good sign. Um, I think a few people would want a little bit more, but um, we'll just have to wait and see for that. Yeah. And then on the flip side of that, right at the expensive end of uh, vehicle registrations, there's talk that um, the flagship 450 kilowatt twin turbo V8 Lexus LQ SUV could be on the way. Who would have thought 450 kilowatts? Not from a not from a, a Lexus sports car, not from you know any other brand, but actually from an SUV. It's pretty impressive. Yeah, it's pretty cool. It, yeah, it really makes a lot of sense, though, doesn't it? I mean, we we're talking about this uh, not last week because I I hid last week and did kid stuff. Um, the week before, we were talking about the Porsche Cayenne and. How at, yeah. at the time it was an affront to the brand for traditionalists and the like. I think we're kind of past that stage these days, where um, you almost expect luxury brands to come out with performance SUVs as well. Everyone's mm-hmm. got an R model or a um, you know some sort of next level um, SUV these days. It was really, I think, just a matter of time before Lexus come up with something. And and what a cracker! Yeah. 450 kilowatts is um, a hell of a way to um, to to join the. Uh, join the segment. Mm. It's literally becoming, a, it's an LS becoming an SUV, really, because they're saying that it'll yeah. use the the driveline and stuff and, and platform of the LS to turn it into a, yeah. a SUV, but then with the F-Sport badge added to it. Mm-hmm. And they're also talking that it will have a couple of other options um, in terms of... So, if you're not needing 450 kilowatts, I'm sure everybody would like 450 kilowatts, but um, there's also a practical side and a wallet side of things as well. So, even if you are in the in the purchasing radar of the LQ, there will be a 310 kilowatt twin turbo VX, v, V6 option. That's also 310 kilowatts is nothing to sneeze at. Um, no. But also 264 kilowatt uh, V6 hybrid system as well, which should 
under the LS500H can get about 6.7 litres per 100 kilometres. So that's, you know, still, again, 264 kilowatts is pretty good level of power. Um, and if that's in a hybrid, that uh, should definitely help the wallet when it comes to fuel economy. You know, I'm surprised so, the, um, the actual colour, like that rose gold mm. with the black, which looks fantastic in this um, in this article. It's not we're on car sales. Um I haven't really seen anyone go for that colour yet, but gee, it looks good. Yeah, really it does. Picked a good combo there, particularly the black window contrasts. Um, obviously, it's just a, a concept version, but um, I'd like to see that sort of colour. I don't know. Do you, do you reckon that'd get away in on the modern road, or is it really just a concept car? No, I think it, it, there's definitely potential you. in it. I think it's getting quite I, I could popular see it now. Hamilton, Newstead. Brisbane, that kind of inner city, you could get away with that colour with a lot of those apartment buildings in that space. I reckon that kind of lifestyle, I think it'd fit quite well. Or Noosa, Noosa just don't care. True. But it's got a big, big chromed wheels as well. They look like in the photos at the article we're looking at, um, they they look like they'd definitely be some fun to look after as well. You wouldn't want to curb those. No. Square gutter. Um but yeah, very good looking. Reminds me of the styling. Reminds me of the um, the Genesis actually. Their their new SUV in a little while. Um, yeah, it's got the similar kind of, a little bit reminiscent of it. Yeah. Um, mm. But it's a good uh, uh, if if the, these premium brands because Lexus and Genesis, I guess you could say a, a, a fairly. Uh, very much aligned competitors being the premium option from uh, you know another brand yeah yeah I think it uh, if, if this is what cars of the future are going to look like uh, I'm very excited for the future yep chuck me in although I don't I don't want 22 inch wheels <laughs> no <laughs> I don't, I'm not Even sure how do you think how do you think this one wheels, would look, <laughs> how do you reckon this one would look with higher sidewalls I don't know if it would um, get away with it no, I don't think so. <laughs> Just <laughs> well, look, there's only one way to find out, and we could try. You know, see yeah, that's right. <laughs> um, but snapping back down, we'll keep moving on with the news. Um, that's important to everybody around here. So the uh, LDV. Um, so we're right on the smack bang of the other side of the uh, price spectrum again for SUVs. Um, the LDV D90. Um, it's just picked up a twin turbo diesel, um, which should. <sighs> Even though I don't know if people have fallen out of love with diesel engines, um, a lot of European manufacturers are moving away from diesel engines. But I guess for those wanting the extra torque and the. Um, the better fuel economy, even though fuel prices are a bit out of whack at the moment. Um, maybe the twin turbo diesel is a good option in this entry level, if, if we could say 47,990 is entry level. Yeah. Well, for that for that price point within that range, it's it's pretty good. It compares to a few others in that sort of area. It's that similar price range. Mm-hmm. And when yep. looking at the photos, the interior looks pretty good as well. I, I haven't looked too closely at the LDVs before, simply because I haven't had the option to to drive one yet. But it kind of looks a little bit, from some of the hero photos I've got, reminds me a little bit of um, a mixture of, uh, I don't know, it, bits of it make it look like a, a Lexus. To me, some of the older Lexus style. 
Um, it does. It's got little um, flourishes of familiarity from from mm. other places, hasn't it? Yeah, it certainly does. It did. but good engine option. It does. It does carry a four thousand dollar price premium over the petrol, so that's also something to to throw into the mix of consideration. Um, the petrol's only the, a two liter, yeah. I think, isn't it? Two liter turbo. Correct. Yeah. Oh yeah, by yep. turbo four wheel drive. Yep. Oh no, that's the other one. Yeah, look, I guess these these kind of markets, the not so much the Prados at the moment because they they are quite pricey, but they I guess they're looking at the uh, the grey nomads here, trying to find something that can tow a van. Mm. And what's this got? Three point one ton towing capacity is is yeah. pretty impressive. So that's a good place to start if you can do a little bit of economy on the side as well they might they might find a few takers for these ones yeah. i've seen a few around but um not a great deal yet i've seen a lot of the ldv commercial vehicles i was about to say that, yeah, i've seen a lot more of the commercial vehicles than i have passenger cars yeah. um and i think and i've seen a lot more and I don't know if, if MG has kind of stolen away a few of these customers from LDV and Great Wall and, and those sorts of brands because MG has kind of come out as that leader in those Chinese-built brands um, because maybe yeah. it's got a little bit of brand familiarity compared to the others. Um, and so it's kind of put the pressure on these other brands as well to, to come up with different options and to introduce those. I um, but yeah, it's a, they've yeah. certainly it's got not- the right things in the right place. Like they've got the big widescreen infotainment system. Um, like they're definitely it, trying to, to load these up with features. Too, really, yeah. Like I think when you, when you see them on the road, you can see they look a bit narrower than than others. But I guess when mm-hmm. you're starting comparing those to like Pajero Sports and the um, <clears throat> and their ilk, then it's um, they, they kind of don't look so out of place. But yeah. like as we were saying previously with MGs, they've put a lot of effort into a, um, a decent exterior design just to get some um, get a bit of eye-catching um, um, design out there, so that people actually turn their heads mm. and try and figure out what it is, which is a pretty hard thing to do these days. Yeah, yeah. It's I don't I don't know whether they stand out because they look different, and I pick out those different things, or whether regular people would see them stand out mm. as well. Well, if you're listening, let us know. Send us an email or um, at shows at dailyautofix.com and let us know. What, what do you think of the LDVs or the other Chinese brands? Is, is it something, um, you know, do they interest you? Does it, is it the price point? Like, what is it that um, what would get you either, if you if you are interested, what attracts you to them? Or if not, what would what would be needed um, to, to bring across to consider buying um, a car like this compared to, you know, the other more well-established brands such as, you know, the Mitsubishi's, Toyotas and, and, and even Azuzu, um, the MUX. So it's, yeah. impre- it's an impressive size. Like if you look at some of the space in the back of it and stuff, it actually has, for with the third row up, it actually has like 400 litres of space in the back, which is pretty mm. impressive for that thing. But its biggest down, down, down or biggest negative I can see is it's a space saver spare. Oh, really? Yeah. Runs a 17-inch steel wheel when the two options for the tyres in the uh, in the car are 18s and 19s. Mm. So it runs a steel 17-inch. So you know why can't you run a 
a full size, you know. They both run light alloys. Why not just run a steel one that runs um, the same size? So, you know, it's why would you have something of that size and not have and run it have to run a space saver? I, I don't understand yeah, that. Particularly if you're those aforementioned grey nomads, you know, you yeah. don't want to be changing the um, behaviour of your vehicle when you're towing a caravan. That's no. not cool. Yeah. No, I mean, mm. for everything else that it's got, like, it's an impressive... You read through the specs and sizes, um, and I, you know, came up the other day in the feed, and I was having a look through it and thought, you know, I'm in the market for something different, um, and I want an SUV. And I thought, well, let's have a look at this, and reading through it, as soon as I got to Space Saver, it's like, no, I'm out. I, I can't... I, I, I don't understand that. On, on, a, on an SUV, um, and it's got, you know, off-road capability and everything, but, yeah, I just... It just uh, unfathoms me and just on how you could you could do that. Mm. Well, look, it's uh, yeah. I think it's one of the things. There's going to be compromises all throughout when you're trying to hit a certain price point and offer such a a large vehicle. Um, that's I guess it's always a consideration with these. There's always going to be some sort of compromise somewhere, um, and it's down to how clever are their engineers and designers in, you know, making up that shortfall in other ways, um, which a lot of other brands try to do as well. It's, it's always a continuing um, struggle of, you know, how can we deliver value um, through features and design whilst also, you know, still being able to make a profit at a certain price point. Um, yeah. So that's Santa Fe activewear. Um, key barrel, <laughs> full-size spare. Yeah. Yeah. I think I take the full size spare. Actually, I prefer that. <laughs> yeah, push easy. Start, Though, I guess I, I, I always do get surprised when I do see a full size spare in any car that I'm yeah. doing a review in because it's so rare. And half the time, I don't think it's because the brands don't want to include one, even though a space saver is a, the easy option. Some of these cars that I've been driving, the wheels are that big. You know, when you are talking 19 or 20 inch alloys, that is a huge wheel to fit yep. somewhere into the boot when you've got, you know, so much space for crash structures and exhaust systems and all that kind of stuff. Um, so it is a bigger challenge these days, particularly when cars are crammed full. Um, when you look, when you pull a car apart, I, I always try and full, pull some, you know, unclip some things just to get a, a have a look at what's going on under the skin, particularly in that boot area. And sometimes yeah. they, they cram it full um, you know, there is not a lot of room to, to play with. Um, you, so, um, I don't know if we talked about it before, but did you tr- pull, try and pull the spare out of the uh, Holden Acadia? No, I never I never got to, <laughs> no. This, uh, you could have, it's a you bit could have been pulling things out for 20 minutes and not found the tyre. <laughs> it's that buried, is it? <laughs> oh, yeah, it's, it's right under. Like, it's still under the... So you go in the cargo area and fold the um, cargo cover up, and then you fold up another section, then you pull a piece of foam, folds back, and then right down about a foot deep into the floor is a space saver spare right down the bottom, which yeah, just wow. killed me. As soon as I saw that, I just thought, how That's why you have roadside assistance. You, you place the yeah. phone call and they'll come and help you. That's <laughs> that's 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 why. Yeah. I bury it. But you know, I was thinking about. You know, I was looking at the Acadia as a replacement for the Commodore wagon, which I've got. And, yeah. You know, I, I wouldn't have minded one. Um, 
Oh, I would but, do but it. I'd still think to do it now. I think you can pick one up for about 50000 now, which is great. Or even less yeah, now. Yeah. But if you're going to put a full-size spare in it, then come and talk to me. But even then, the ability to get the space saver out... To stick it on the roof. When you're stuck in the middle of nowhere... Well, you can't because mm. it's just a scrawny little um, Pringle chip anyway. You can just put it on the roof rack. Yeah. Um, but <laughs> it's just... <laughs> That's the other good thing about the Santa Fe too. The spare is underneath the car. So if yeah. you need to get the spare out, you don't have to worry about unpacking all your family's stuff to be able to get your spare tyre out, which is a problem with, with most modern cars. And with my Commodore too, actually. I've got a 2016 Commodore. Full-size spare, but it's under the um, luggage space. I so, guess you just yeah. got to hope that you're not on a dirt road in the rain when you've got to undo that tyre off the back. Yeah, I can get muddy. That doesn't bother me. <laughs> but if you're in the rain on a muddy road and more than 200 kilometres from your local service centre, you know, that's that's what touring Long is way about. to go it's travelling about getting at 80. away from the country. <laughs> hey? Yeah. Yeah, that's Long right. Long way to go at 80. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, let's let's move on to the next bit. Uh, straight six and rear wheel drive for the next Mazda six. Now, I put it into the local news simply because the Mazda six is extremely popular. Um, I see yep. them around all the time. Even though I haven't, probably one I don't of the see as many most the underrated passenger cars yeah. I reckon in Australia. Yeah. Sorry. Continue. Um, yeah, so, the rumours are that that they could be moving away from the four-cylinder front-wheel drive layout, which they've had for obviously quite a while now, um, in in favour of a... Now, I think the article which we're reading at the moment and sort of put it a bit misleading, but essentially a BMW-style inline six-cylinder. So not yeah. not going and doing Falcon a BMW powertrain. Inline yeah. six-cylinder. Yeah. <laughs> it, it could be... Yeah. <laughs> so... Um, but anyway, inline six-cylinder powertrain with rear-wheel drive platform, I think, um, would be a very nice package in a, in a car like the Master 6. And surprising to see going back uh, going back to a rear-wheel drive when the rest of the world, including BMW, is looking at front-wheel drive. Um, so it's uh, yeah. exciting for people who love to drive, but um, yeah, a bit of a, an interesting switch to be making from a Mazda point of view. Well, you know, I think their um, their whole brand, the whole Zoom Zoom thing, um, I think has sort of got lost in the in the noise now. They need to sort of start backing it up with something a little bit more mm-hmm. zoomy. Like you look at their their um, I was going to call them a Model Three then, uh, the Three Series. No, the Mazda uh, <laughs> Threes. Yeah. Um, you know they really uh, the Zoom Zoom, which was just basically advertising about which was completely appropriate. If you drove the SP23 when they first came out, um, that was a big step up for uh, mm. compact um, um, cars. And one of my favourites for, for quite a few years, actually, my sister had one, uh, sister-in-law had one. Fantastic cars to drive. Really, like, effusive and emotional and admittedly quite loud, but... I like that sort of thing. They had a real zoom zoom attitude to their brand for a while. The CX seven with the turbo came out. Mm-hmm. They were really zoomy. Now I think they're not quite so zoomy, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Well um, we haven't seen an MPS model. Normally previously we've seen no. an MP MPS Mazda six and MP MPS um, Mazda three. And so yep. yeah, they've they've kind of 
lost that. Is this, could they be returning to that given that, you know, we were talking about last week and the week before um, with Toyota coming out with the, you know, with the GR, um, we're seeing um, the yeah. i30 and the end, you know, the end brand for Hyundai, for Hyundai is becoming its its own thing and, and creating its own following. Um, it's maybe, I think it, it's- you know, maybe these shifts are, are forcing Mazda to actually having to go back to, you know, that part of their brand history. Um, Perhaps to, it's, to, it's, to it's everyone, that, you know, shift. Every, everyone trying again to get their unique selling point, the USP, something specific about their brand that makes people stop and look at it. Um, you know, this, this is a very unique drivetrain hmm. that will immediately draw attention from people like well like us to be honest and I don't know what you guys are like but I get a lot of people asking me about cars all the time um, and this is the sort of thing that I would be eager to tell them about you know what I mm-hmm. mean it's sort of they start generating their own um, I don't want to say hype because hype is the sort of thing that um, gets inflated and then and when something gets here everyone goes oh that was um, a bit overdone but it was this more sort exciting of stuff, when it wasn't here <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> but I mean, these sorts of things here, and I, uh, I, I've driven the not the not the latest edition of the Mazda Six, but I guess a, a couple of years ago now, probably about four years old. Um, and there's there's such a well sorted car, you know, they've got everything mm. kind of right, but they just need something that gives you a little bit of a a little bit of punch, a little bit of get along, to sort of get a little bit more emotion into the brand and. Um, I, I think this will do a lot for it. I mean, obviously, it's not going to look like the render, but um, no, it is a very good-looking render. I think the um, the artist who who put it together. I, I'm trying to find who did it because normally the article will list it. But anyway, um, it it basically looks like a the rear end looks like the um, I can't remember which model Ferrari but one of the the Ferraris just came out recently just that, Portofino, that design language that's it yeah it, it, it has that huge reminiscent look of that um, and then the side angle and the front angle looks like um, you know when the 8 series Grand Coupe concept came out and everything like that like those those sort of really elongated really super slick yeah long nose looking Long nose, yeah. long to, uh, low turret, yeah. Which would have, you know, which would mean that it'd be awful to park anywhere if this actually came out the way it did. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, it looks looks great, and I think yeah, it's definitely promising. Um, but also, I guess one of the next pressures for Mazda would be improving. Everybody seems to be stepping up with better better warranties and and cheaper servicing options, and I think that's probably one thing that's that has hurt Mazda against its competition is particularly servicing um, because I, I, I believe they still don't have like a cap service program or no. sort of long-term servicing program which I think a lot of pe- a lot of customers want and, and probably even now would appreciate having some sort of advanced knowledge of well, how much is that next service going to cost them um, give them credit you know. though they, they have their service network I mean I'm I'm a th- master owner um, mm-hmm. and I've had my three for over 10 years um, and it is you know it is an aging car so you know there is a lot that has gone wrong with it um, yeah. at, at this end of its life but I'll give Mazda credit for its service network. The dealership that, well, I'm still servicing mine at the dealership I bought it from. And the only reason is because the 
uh, customer service there is exemplary. I always get a loan car. Um, I always get looked after. They've got a discount built into it for me because I bought from them. So I get a discount off, off the service every time. Um, mm-hmm. If it hadn't been for that service, I would have probably not taken the car back there. Um, yeah. But you're right. There's no cap. There's no cap servicing. The prices isn't you know isn't too bad considering you know what's being done to the car and whatever else. So you know they've done they've done well in that thing. But that so much of the brand of late has been based around you know SUVs. You know six uh, six five six seven six eight six nine. Um, Six three now six thirty, um, which I saw my first one in the flesh the other day. They're actually, not a bad looking car, but mm. I think Mazda mm. is now at a point where the the range is so big that they need to. And and this is the idea behind this car, obviously, is that I would hope that they would return to some form of sportiness that they have had in the past. Like Mick mentioned before, that whole zoom zoom efficiency. Mm. Like I've got mine's an SP twenty three, and and it does have that little bit of performance feel and that to it uh but you know the brand is missing that you know they dropped the M- the mps and the three and the six range it kind of needs this you know it'd be great to see a, a rear drive and a straight six uh come back into the range of some description um because you know it kind of needs that little bit of mm. a little bit of sportiness look sure they have the the mx5 but it needs something else i think in that range i don't like fit a, that it doesn't yeah. count the what? I don't fit an MX-5. It doesn't count. No, exactly. It's you know, it's a two-seater. Sure that you know, it's it's had a, a long generation of being a popular car, but it, that that's that's great for that mark, that segment, and that market. But it needs you know. Mm. We're all, uh, Mick and I'll probably agree more to this than you, Ash, because we're a little bit older than you, uh, is that, you know, us older guys like the idea of having a practical sports car, like something that's got, you know, four four, four doors and, and that little bit bigger in size so that, you know, in Mick's case, um, you can take the family. And What do you mean? You case- don't just need something that can fit a gym bag in the back? No. No, you're gonna, What's like, Jim and I like Who's Jim? Yeah, <laughs> you know the idea of having that something a little bit bigger. Like I, now, I get I get more excited. I think now about cars that are that you know I I'm a massive fan of these sports SUVs. You know, I'd love to see more of them come here because it's practical plus it's sporty. You know, the idea of that. So yeah, I'm excited for this idea of a Mazda six going down that sport range. You know, rear drive. Of you know, bigger engine. Uh, you know, why can't we see more of this? There's only one way they can make it better is obviously to make it a wagon. Um, oh, I was well, of course, so. you know, you, you and I agree <laughs> with hands down. Without not a for me, not thought. for me. But <laughs> because anybody that has concept, a baby that's it w- bigger than <laughs> yeah. I was going to say, looking at that concept, it it probably won't add too much practicality just extending that roof a little bit more. Like, you're not going to fit too much more except for, you know, like an animal or anything like that. But um, given the nature of wagons, it seems to just make every sedan look way better. Um, That concept turned into a wagon. You'd be on a surefire winner. Whack an MPS badge on that even. And there you go. Yeah. We've done you can it. Call it a shooting break work's and done. Everyone will talk Finished. about it. That's yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. well, it's like the Corolla wagon. Thank no, you. The, the Corolla wagon is what we need here in this in this market as well. Like because it, mm-hmm. you know, the Corolla. Oh. You know, people will admit the boot space is not brilliant in the new one. The hybrid system is 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 amazing for that car. 
give us the wagon yeah. version. It, it helps fix so much of that problem. They do it do it in the UK. Why can't we, you know, see it here? It, it, yeah. Wagons are just so much more practical for everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and not everyone wants yep. to buy an SUV. People like the idea of having that, you know, the ability to have a car, even if it's a little bit longer. Look at that Focus wagon. That folk Ford Focus wagon is a stunning car. Yeah, and, that's, you know, that's a good-looking good f- car. Yeah. It's one way to get everybody talking about it anyway. Because um, yeah. every every news outlet throws an article up because it's exactly what um, every every news platform wants uh, to talk about is a wagon. It doesn't necessarily always translate into sales numbers. We know that um, BMW and, and Mercedes, who are really stuck at that wagon game in those in their game for a little while, it just never saw the traction here in Australia, um, even though it meant that we missed out on, you know, arguably one of the best cars ever, the um, M5, the E60 wagon, um, the M5 E60 with the V10. Um, I remember seeing that in Germany when I was over there when it came out, and um, wow, it was just one of these cars where ever since I've always <laughs> wished that somebody would do a conversion of you know of a five <laughs> yeah. series here and like what they've done some people have done with the M3s but this made a V10 M5 wagon here in Australia that you could drive because um everything about yeah. that car was crazy like that oh, Bangalore mental. um of the five series is probably one of my favorite cars to look at not mm. um ever they just I don't know. This, they got something exactly right with that car for me. When when you've got an wagon, X, yeah, even better. When you've got a, a Formula One derived V10 engine, <laughs> um, <laughs> apart yep. from the servicing cost, <laughs> yeah. you know, it, yep. it, it, it's it's yeah. I've um, I've known a few people who've owned it, and um, uh, yeah, just incredibly envious of the driving experience and the ownership, just not of the servicing cost. Yeah, um, but. That also means that you can pick them up fairly cheap these days if you're willing to put the effort and money into maintaining it. But it is truly one of the – we're totally derailed, but um, it is truly one of the special cars of the last, you know, of, of last decade or the last two decades. Yeah, look, I, I, don't, I don't think we've derailed too far there at all. I mean, you look at the the change in tack for that particular M5. Yeah. The Bangle era – Immediately made BMW more, um, well, louder. I don't know if we'll definitely say better. You'll get a lot of BMW traditionalists saying that was the start of the decline for BMW away from the um, proper driving machine, like all the guys Mm. who drive the older ones. Um, But... You know the that in particular that V10 because there was a lot of people when the um, the the smaller versions all the 520s and all that sort of thing come out with the bangle design everyone's like oh that's mm. that's that's a bit odd and then the V10 came out and everyone went oh my god you know the quad exhaust <laughs> yeah. the giant wheels the fender vents everything that was such an, an emotive vehicle. And that was just splashed everywhere at the time. You know, you saw it on every magazine, um, every car show. Everyone wanted a piece of it. And I, I think that... Oh, and it instantly the made Mazda, the E63 from Mercedes look old and outdated. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It looked like an old farts car. Yeah. That was too ridiculously fast and sounded awesome, but they, but they we're probably, immediately we're probably, looked old. I'm about to probably upset a whole heap of BMW um, fans at the moment, but... You already have, have by telling give, them that yeah. the, the E60 is the best M5 ever. <laughs> you have to. Well, how did V10 in it? 
Well, that's you know, it's the engine. Um, uh-huh. But for me, the if you, what Bangle did for BMW is created what the modern modern luxury car would look like and and would be because if you look at the um the the seven series that came out before the bangle seven series it it was purely like if you sat those two cars next to each other you'd expect that there'd be a car in between it as an intermediate generation yeah between those two yeah but when the Bangle Era 7 Series came out, it was such a massive leap in everything um, from technology to design, just all aspects of it, that it propelled everything and redefined, I think, what, you know, what we have from, you know, particularly luxury cars of, of today. Um, even though everything in that 7 Series didn't work very well, um, a lot of people <laughs> tell you now, like, you can buy a 760 Li from 2003, I think it's the first year they came out, for like $10,000. V12, unreal, but incredibly unreliable. Half the systems will stop working or cost you double that to fix it. Um, but in yeah. terms of what it brought to the table of design, like iDrive, iDrive defined in-car entertainment for everybody. And frustration. Um, yeah. So that first iteration was awful. I, I remember we had a loan car from BMW at that time when the car was being serviced and they gave us a five series with, with that first generation iDrive. And you just couldn't work it out what you're meant to do to try and get back to somewhere. It just didn't make any sense. But that whole concept, if you look at every other car manufacturer today, that does that concept for that infotainment system stems from that, um, which is truly remarkable. And yeah. you got to say, like, yes, it, the designs were polarizing. The technology didn't always work, particularly in those seven series. Um, but... Whether you like it or not, that that design um, era for BMW really changed how everybody was designing and and um, putting technology into cars. And um, yeah, it's a. I think it was really the first the first time where luxury cars became polarizing. You know, like mm. pre that, all <clears throat> most luxury cars before that date have all been. Um, well, I can't say all of them, but a great deal of them have all been fairly conservative styling, pretty consistent and easy to digest. Nobody's really looked at them and gone, oh, my God, that's, you know, a really hot-blooded, sexy-looking beast. Yeah. You know, you can't say that about, the like, that old 7 Series that you were talking about. They, mm. they looked neat and nice yeah. and... You know, and one of the reasons I said I can't say that about all cars previously because I was thinking about the Lagonda, which was, <laughs> that certainly raised some eyebrows when that came out. Um, yeah. But you know, it did. It did like BMW, and this is what I was saying about how we haven't really gone off track. Is it gave BMW that unique selling point where everyone just mm. all of a sudden swiveled their heads and looked at what's BMW doing right now? You know, the, yeah. the Z4 yeah. kept that pushed it further. Everything just started coming out and really drawing a lot of attention to the brand. And, Mazda mm. needs that. They need P 
people to start swiveling their heads and looking at Mazda now because at the moment, the things that Mazda are doing, they're doing them quite well, but they're doing the same thing everyone else is doing. Mm. Same with I guess you say Genesis has done that. They've done really well yeah. with that by creating yeah, attention right. and bringing people in. That's, that's certainly something we can give credit to them for. They haven't done a Gazoo Racing yeah. Corolla, but, you know, that's in the same yep. sense of they've definitely done something to attract attention. I'm still slightly concerned about um, the attention that's coming to Genesis, whether it's whether they're doing a great job or it's just because I'm extremely interested in them because I really, I really <laughs> like the G80. So, um, but, you know, they must be doing Don't something Don't worry, right I've already there, sent um, emails off asking when can we book one in for reviews. So. <laughs> it's yeah, like, right. get that car here now. I want to drive it. Yes, please. Yep. All right, put me down for the shooting break. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's. I think let's let's touch on some international news um, because I think it touches on some of the styling stuff that we've, we've kind of touched on. And and the first one is a name that not a lot of people are probably familiar with, but it's from Toyota in in the states, and it's called the Harrier. Um, and boy, it looks good. It's something that we won't see here unfortunately but think of if you want to picture it in your head as you're listening think of um a lexus suv in that type of styling really modern but with toyota badges um slightly bigger than an r uh, rav4 but i think probably arguably a lot better looking than the rav4 and that's saying that the rav4 isn't bad looking it just this one just looks better yeah this is the same concept i was talking about before where something's conservative and neat this looks this looks very clean very tidy car which yeah it's actually what it, yeah. exactly what i'd expect from from lexus um you know when you get in lexus cars mm. they're all very everything's exactly where you think it should be and it just kind of fits and it feels nice and tidy and sorted and this looks mm. looks the same sort of way and mm. yeah I'm, I'm trying to think of uh, an appropriate analogy for what the rav4 looks like um mm. some type of climbing i, I, I just or expect something, or something different from know. a name i just expect something a little bit more performance orientated with the name harrier i, I think of harrier jet i think of that kind of thing <laughs> not a, a uh, an suv <laughs> you know like, that's, yeah, that's, yeah, that's, that's um, probably the letdown when they went with this name yeah, well, the Harrier is actually the original name for the RX in Japan. Mm, okay. Um, when Did not they know that. first came out, so um, for quite a few years ago. So you look, if you look up the old Toyota Harrier, they're um, they've they've been around for quite a few years. Mm. Um, but yes, th- this is a very tidy looking vehicle. I, I, I'm so, I guess I can't say I'm surprised that it's not coming to Australia because if it's if it slots into the Rav4 slot. Um, mm. that, that slot's full and it's busy. So <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. we haven't got time for anything else. Sorry. Um, <clears throat> yeah, look, it's, it's, yeah, little- and we're not saying that we need another car in Toyota's lineup. A lot of car makers now have a very <coughs> busy set of vehicles. Um, choose from so yeah we don't really need another one but yeah if, if they were going to go hey look which one would you like uh, rav4 design or the harry design i think i'd go the harry design thank you oh yeah for sure for sure um same as well with the um i don't know if this is related to the that no, wouldn't be related to the rx because it's not as wide no it's um, more but I found with the rx yeah so I, it's 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 one of those middle size 
ones, which is essentially what becomes of the, um, you know, you have your normal medium type and then you have your large, which is the seven-seater. There's that little gap in the middle there where BMW plug their, um, their GTs in. Uh, which mm-hmm. is, you know, sort of like a high-riding hatchback type thing where you've got people that don't need seven seats but want to have a little bit more luxury to add, a little bit more length, a little bit more space, a little bit more bits and pieces to make things a bit more fancy. Um, I think that's probably a – you know, Toyota could probably, mm. could probably feed that segment if they really wanted to, if they had, if they had the space to, to fit it into their network. Mm. Um, but I don't know. Do you reckon it's – does it really sit in with the rest of Toyota's design – Language? No. I don't think so. I, I don't. I don't think it really fits um, anything that exists in Toyota's lineup at the moment. Particularly what we see in Australia. Even no. if you look at Corolla, very different. Um, Yaris. That's probably the closest thing. Um, to you know what? If I, if I look language, at the, or even um, if you look at the Supra. rear three quarter. Yeah, yeah, maybe. That front yeah, nose, you know, that line, how it dips down below the badge and then up towards the lights. Um, yeah. It, 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 it's kind of like, yeah, in, if you squint your eyes really hard, look at it, as, you know, twist your head to a 45-degree <laughs> angle and then cover half of it with your hand, you can kind of get a little hint of Supra vibe, I think. But that's as close as it gets. But just so you're looking if you at make the platform, hangover though, that's, yeah. <laughs> yeah. The platform that it's built on actually runs same platform as the Camry, the Avalon, Lexus ES, the RAV4, uh, and the Highlander, which is obviously our Kluger as well. So it's quite interesting. Mm. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, I was going to say that from the rear three quarter, it had a bit of ES vibe to the window mm. line. Mm. But obviously, completely missing a boot. But anyway. <laughs> yeah. uh, well, we'll chalk it up to another car that we won't get, but we um, kind of wish we did. Um, there seems to be a yeah. growing list of those, unfortunately. Um, but, you know, here we are. Uh, moving on, uh, Audi production seems to be, we've, we've spoken about the last few weeks, a lot of the, the factory shutting down or shifting their production focus to, to things like ventilators and face masks. But it seems that Audi is uh, looking to restart the production in Europe. So if uh, you've been hanging out for an Audi of some sort that is produced in Europe, well, you're in luck. Um, stock seems to be, it will still take some time, but it seems like some of that production will be restarting soon. Is this, um, is it too soon though, do you think? Uh, it seems like Europe is still definitely um, dealing with some of the heavier fallout of COVID-19. Um, do you think this is a bit too soon or is it is it part of a necessity to keep production still going um, for global supply? I think it's like the other brands that we've talked about that have, talked, that have mentioned that they want to start going back. I think obviously they've taken this time to work out where, where they can still social distance and, and work within the right framework within the factory. So I mm. wouldn't be surprised that, yeah, if they obviously want to restart, they obviously have orders they probably need to fulfil. So they're obviously spent the time to research how they can do it safely and, and work best for their, for their staff. So I mm. think, yeah, if they think they can obviously do it properly, then you know, all, all to it to be able to to reopen their business and, and the economy to help their the staff. Yeah, so they're saying that it, they're 
comprehensive safety precautions and modified work regulations um, will be in place and also apply at their office spaces as well. Um, but yeah, I, I don't see any specific mention of like face masks or, or anything that um, companies like Amazon over in the States have been, have now apparently rolled out to each of their um, fulfillment centers to ensure that people stay safe because obviously it's one thing to remain you know social distancing 1.5 meters away um, but if you're in a spot where you're working a shift for a number of hours and you're not too far away from somebody else and you're handling similar equipment um yeah, it's it's going to be interesting. It seems yeah. like the in, one of the engine plants has also started ramping up. So yeah, well that's that's the right kind of um, precaution to have face masks when you're getting people that are working together for a long period of time. But I don't think you want to be saying that you're using face masks in your press release about getting back into business because then you're taking face masks away from health workers. So I don't yeah. think you want to be seen consuming those resources when you're trying to get a, a good news story out there. Unless you're building your own. You know, we've seen Ford and a few others and, and um, Nissan come out during the week Have saying... Have you seen uh, Erebus Medical? Have you yeah, seen Erebus Medical about it, on Facebook? Yeah, we, we spoke about it last week um, about what they're doing. Yeah, it's oh, pretty okay. impressive. Yeah. Yeah, they're doing a great job. And I, I just... It, it's good to see that sort of organisation where they're, um, you know, obviously they're developing things because they're Erebus and they've got Erebus on it, but they're, they're just basically sending out a free-for-all to people saying, hey, can you help? What can you do? Where can we mm. help? What can we do? Rather than the, the usual um, upright, um, rigid promotion of one business doing something fantastic, they're just yeah. throwing it out there. Let's, let's just do things and make it happen. But, yeah, you covered it last mm-hmm. week, so I'll just shut up now because I was absent. That was my fault. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you do want to catch up on that conversation, you yeah. can always listen to our past episodes <laughs> um, for those listening at home. Of course. <laughs> um, but, look, uh, we'll move on to the next bit as well. So, again... Um, a name that people might not be familiar with is the Nissan Rogue, or as we better know it, as the Nissan X-Trail. So it seems like in uh, everybody working from home and everything like that, somehow the marketing photos for the updated X-Trail have uh, slipped out onto the internet. And I'm going to say it, uh, it looks pretty good. pretty good job. Yeah. yeah. I think it's a big improvement over the current X-Trail. Um, it looks quite nice. Yeah. I don't think the... Like, obviously, the X-Trail's um, display and everything was a, is a bit outdated, mm. um, which is, you know, stands to the reason it's been on the market for a while, and obviously, it's due for an upgrade. Um, yeah. I'll be interested to see what they do to the rest of the car, actually, because I can look at the the design in the photos, the interior. They, it looks like they've done a pretty good job, and I'm pretty sure it'll yeah. it'll function mm. function very well. So, I've, so I've I'm got digital in dash, sort of they make bigger to the center. Yeah, digital dash, bigger um, center infotainment system, and even some of these photos, it looks like they're showing like their premium model um, with the um, quilted seats, um, so the diamond stitch pattern leather seats, um, and yep. like a seems like a pseudo leather topped dash. Um, I don't know if it is. It's hard to tell in the photos, but it's like a two tone colored dash. Um, wireless car 
wireless phone charging. It looks like in the photo right at the bottom. Um, so and wireless CarPlay by the looks of it. So it's all all good things. It's it's yet to be remained how much of those features because not all the time do we see those features translate from say like a US car to a car that we get here down under. Though typically we do seem to see higher levels of specification in our standard models in Australia because as yep. us as Australians we <coughs> demand more um, for our dollar. So yeah. But it seems like also so. I, I think we pay more too. That, we have more dollars. Yeah, that's true. We um so that so that's hitting apparently the end of this year for the U.S. market, but we'll probably won't see it until sometime in 2021, maybe the second half of 2021. And also, it seems like according to the wrap up of of um of the rumors attached along to these leaked photos is the um, the idea that they might be having a, some sort of hybrid system as well which I guess would be fairly well welcomed given that a lot of their competition um, including the RAV4 has um, some sort of hybrid system yeah finally a payoff uh, I think it talks about in the article too they're saying it's probably going to be similar to uh, the Mitsubishi um, hybrid yeah so you know I guess there needs to be a benefit from Mitsubishi and uh, and this coming together. Um, it's good to see a payoff, actually. Hopefully, it'll um, you know I, I I don't know how far the um, the systems come since I drove it when they when they first came out, and um, I did the calculations based on the CO2 emitted from uh, the fuel that I used plus the energy that I used to recharge it through Australia's admittedly filthy energy grid. And it yeah. worked out to be the same emissions as 6.5 litres per 100 k's for a mm-hmm. um, for a tank, which is you know doesn't sound that impressive. But this was like what six years ago, I think they came out. Yeah, seven. Yeah. No, I can't remember. Mm. It was it was quite a while ago. Um, but you know, if they're going to have this, this is the great thing about not just uh, electric vehicles, but obviously plug-in hybrid electric vehicles as well. And it comes with the. Um, uh, the benefits of scale for for any powertrain, you know, the more mm-hmm. units that you can sell, the more money you can invest to make it better. So I'm all all for that. You know, the Nissan X Trail is a pretty pretty popular product. Um, so I, I can only see a hybrid version going even better. They'll probably even double their sales. I'd say if the if the hybrid um, version is anything to sneeze at. Um, you look at the popularity of the. Um, of the RAV4 hybrid I don't think that was like you look at the sales of the previous RAV4 which was still pretty good but the mm-hmm. mix of uh, of hybrids for the for the current RAV4 is huge I think you're talking about 44% or something which is pretty significant considering it's a it's an investment to actually get the hybrid and a long waiting time as well so yeah. there's obviously a lot of interest out there um, mm-hmm. as long as they can make the overarching product itself um, I guess a little bit more modern. I, I didn't mind yeah. the, um, the X Trail that I driven recently, but um, obviously, no, I didn't can Make it feel a lot better. Yeah, yeah. And 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 I, I, we I spoke about it at the time. The, yeah, yeah, that's there was a uh, an X Trail I drove a little while ago, a few months ago, and I was a bit meh about it I, I didn't really like it but the later version I think it was the what was it the Ansport um, uh, Entrec 
end track. Yeah, that's it. Um, yeah, I, I in in that in that package, I. I quite liked it a lot but yeah there's definitely um seeing these photos and go oh yeah that that's that's a really good step forward um and i don't think you'd want to wait any longer past 2021 to see any sort of update like that um given how quickly other brands are moving um with their design and and with their features as well yeah for sure Uh, but but looking Um, forward next um Seems like, uh, even though factories are shut down and, and some factories are thinking about ramping up production again, it seems like the development of cars, particularly um, performance cars at the Nurburgring, has not slowed down one bit with the um, with a fairly lightly disguised Golf R spotted um, testing at the Nurburgring. Uh so it seems like uh, with the new Volkswagen Golf, it won't be too long until we start seeing the much, mostly, for a lot of golf fans, a lot of people anticipate the Golf R and um, what it brings, and it looks like it could be pumping out 245 kilowatts of hot hatch goodness, um, which is a lot of power for a car that size. And it's more than its yep. competitors as well. So Type R yeah. is 228, and the Megane RS is 221. So... Mm. Mm. Um, if it comes out, it'll be interesting to see. Similar torque numbers, though. You're looking at it saying possibly over 420. 420, uh, yeah. The Type R's 400 and the Megane is 420 as mm. well. So quite interesting to see. Um, obviously, it's pretty easy to um, to social distance when you're in a race car by yourself at, at a track <laughs> as big as the ring. Um, but, yeah, it's uh, it's yeah. good to see them working on the mm. on the development of, this, of mm. this car. But they would have been fairly heavily involved before a lot of the lockdown downs happens yeah. so i think and it's I obviously be, just a progression so in the article the car says article that we're that we're looking at the moment um seems that they're, they're hinting at a zero to 100 and, and about 4.6 seconds which i don't i kind of expect it to be a little just a touch faster um given that oh, really and i think i think tuners will will definitely get that number down very quickly when the car gets released because i've i know of plenty of um mark 7 golf r's that are reaching zero to 100 times in 2.9 to 3.2 seconds um with some tunes and some upgraded parts so i I know that obscenely fast uh, acceleration times are possible, but um, yeah, does, is it just me? It was four point six seconds zero to one hundred sounds slow for a performance car these days. Well, for something yeah, of this shit. this size, it's not bad. <laughs> but you know, high end stuff's three seconds, so it's a second and a half roughly off. So, which is an eternity. Let's be honest. <laughs> These days, because well, um, the M2 I think is a 4.2 seconds or something like that now. Um, we're seeing faster numbers in, and I know you could argue that this is a different class of car altogether. But the Golf R in particular has always been one of those cars that has just pushed performance figures for a car like that. It which it shouldn't. Like you know, it shouldn't be doing numbers like this for a car like that. Yeah, look, I'm going to put my old man hat on here. Um, <laughs> really, the way that you drive a car, 4.5 seconds versus 3.2 seconds when you're going through the twisties, no one's going to care. No. This is, that's, that's traffic light warrior business for me. To me, I'm not interested in driving cars that fast in a straight line. Straight lines do not interest me whatsoever. So, um, 
<laughs> you know, I've, I've no, absolutely no doubt that this golf is going to corner like an absolute demon because golf's basically always do. You can even get a like a rental golf, and they have really very solid handling. In fact, mm. why has this one got half a roll cage frame in it? Is it a st- is that a normal golf R thing? I no. think it's just a safety thing they normally normally yeah. do when they're testing like these. Um, you find that they'll typically have like some sort of racing. Depending on what they're testing, sometimes um, if they're yeah. doing validation of drivetrain, engine, that kind of thing, they'll have um, racing seat and harnesses and roll cages just, yeah. in, just in case. When it gets to the, a more mature point when they're testing... Um, other aspects of the car you'll find more complete interiors but typically when they're doing ring testing you'll find that a lot of the cars um even even cars which manufacturers are doing like a ring you know they're going for a lap record and everything like that most manufacturers will opt to have some sort of half cage and racing seat in there for safety um rather than going for a completely bone stock car which has got a lot of people their noses out of joint in the past when discussing well how valid is a lap record if it's not 100% stock but I think um, yeah yep. for these for these they usually just go for, for safety over um, yeah, safety certain first. aspects depending on what they're testing <clears throat> yeah because a lot of these times they could also be testing different tyre compounds if the car's fairly close to production they could have um, could be reaching a point where the Michelin, Pirelli or whoever, Continental, whoever they're working with for the tyres um, for this specific car they could be testing those different tire compounds um so yeah there's usually a big long list of validation they do go through and yeah they'll have the car sort of stripped out and you know test spec for for whatever they're doing um you'll see that a lot better with um with bmw because they have their m test center very close to the ring and um Spy, uh, I don't know what you call it. Photographers, anyway, love to to get up close and personal because it's the way they exit out of that facility to get to the ring. Um, their little yep. car park where they park the cars up to get them out. You can get a fairly good view of them, and um, yeah, you'll see the different setups they have um, throughout the different stages of development um, they're doing. I got so, I got to say this yeah. is um, this is probably the best cam cam paint you can put on a golfer. Plain mm. white because it looks boring. Yeah. <laughs> no one would yeah. look twice at that, yeah. aside from the noise and the speed it was no. doing. So <laughs> that's right. Uh, but look, so that that should be exciting. It's uh, obviously not going to be a super cheap car, um, but for those wanting a compact car like that, there's there's no doubt going to be. It does three point two. Oh, no. That's right. It's too a- slow. <laughs> Look, you just need to spend about an extra ten thousand dollars, some new pipes, um, exhaust system, and a tune, and there you've got your three-second car. Um, but yeah. next, and another thing we we might not see here, and hence why we've whacked it into the uh, the international news section, is um, the Ford Everest. Um, looks like the. Looks like they might be getting a bit of a Mustang engine in um, over this overseas, as well as a. Uh, let me have a look. Yeah, so under the Everest, you can see about two hundred two kilowatts, four hundred fifty-five newton meters of torque um, in this 
2.3 litre EcoBoost turbo petrol four cylinder, which you do see in the Mustang as well as the Focus RS. Um, but yeah, we probably won't see this variant according to the response from Ford Australia. But um, yeah, that's that's a pretty nice engine to have um, in any sort of car. It's a good try. It's a good drive line, a good engine. I've driven it in two of uh, the vehicles that it's in. I've driven it in the Mustang and I've driven it in the Focus RS. And yeah, um, it's like it's absolutely potent in the RS. So it'll be interesting to see what it's like in the Everest. Um, it's an interesting powertrain. Um, having driven the, I prefer in the Everest and the and the Ranger. I definitely prefer the 3.2 over the 2 litre twin turbo. I just think the, the 3.2 is just, even though it doesn't have as much um, power or torque, it's just mm. a nicer drive line uh, engine to, 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 to drive on a daily um, you know, daily purpose. Uh, but yeah, I'd be interested to see what it'd be like. But yeah, they're talking that this um, that this 2.3 liter or the EcoBoost version will probably end up in uh, the Chinese market. So um, it's interesting that they're going to do it there, but not here. I think obviously Ford have obviously tried to be um, quite clever with what they've done here and in, in restricting. The engines op, uh, uh, options in the Everest, um, you can really only get the um, the three point two in the, the the bottom and the middle grade. Now you can only get the uh, the the two liter in the top grade in the Everest. So I think they're obviously just trying to, to simplify their their choices. So yeah, sure, it'd be good to see uh, the EcoBoost run. But yeah, when you when you've got a market that you know there is quite a few options already. Uh, it makes sense to, to simplify it, but yeah, it's a shame we won't see it here. Yeah, well, it's uh, again, we'll chalk it up to one of the other cars we won't be seeing, or engine variants anyway, we won't be seeing here. Mm. Uh, so let's let's touch on some motorsport news. So um, I, I do have to say, um, seeing Max Verstappen race in the uh, the Supercar Z series was quite an entertaining watch. Um, it was, it was, it was <laughs> quite good. When he, he brake checked Shane Van Ginsbergen after the uh, was it the second one? I think. Yes. And one of them afterwards. <laughs> yeah. Brake checked him after the after the um, checkered flag. That was that was quite amusing. Yeah. So it was, it was good. It's, it was um, he was quite a late addition, a late announcement to the series. But um, from what I could tell when tuning in, um, a lot of the comments, uh, it was a, a, a good pickup um, because obviously for the supercars brand, it's very much Australia focused. But having a driver like Max Verstappen being a Formula One driver for Red Bull. He's got quite the international audience and a very passionate um, following as well. So it's a good way to bring some extra international eyeballs um, through his Twitch channel as well as, you know, through the Red Bull website as well. So it's a good, it was a good coup for the supercars race and uh, be interesting to see if they'll be able to bring other stars along as well from the network of Red Bull drivers. It's probably the best um, chance to get some international drivers outside of probably the Penske team, um, but it's uh, it's good. It's a good way to bring that yeah. that international viewership and exposure, which I'm sure a lot of the drivers appreciate too. Like even Shane Van Gisbergen getting that type of attention from a teammate like that um, can only help boost their international profile when it comes to looking for drives and sponsors in the future. Yeah, I, I found the whole 
e-racing component uh, the the i-racing for supercars is much more entertaining than i than i thought it would be and it's not just because people are more entertaining than the actual races too <laughs> if uh, out of fear yeah. of getting uh, some flack but I, I i've enjoyed it a lot more than i have other races so far yeah, I guess there's it's it's a different um, you know when you when they're doing the normal racing they um, do focus a lot on things going on in the pits as well and stuff around the team yeah. and reactions from pit crews and and a few other things that add to the to the drama and kind of detract or oh, not detract but just sort of um, bring your attention away from the actual racing itself mm. quite often. Um, well, a big difference course, as well you know, is when these when these guys are racing for real they've got to protect the car as well like there's there's real cost and real safety c- considerations to have as well when you're racing um, yep. on a racetrack with you know cars that are worth hundreds of thousands or even millions of dollars um, compared to you throw everybody in an e-series and people will go for gaps people, because the consequences are, are vastly different to what they're used to and so you can get a bit more excited with the racing as well because you take out the some of the really expensive and really um, you know you remove the t- different types of risk crazy. yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. well then I which go is crazy good, which is great when which is great yeah. when you're trying to get um, when audiences to, to tune in particularly when you know on a 7 o'clock you know 7 7.30 at night on a Wednesday you've got MasterChef which half of the household is probably going to want to tune into and the other half is wanting to watch some um, some racing so it's uh, yeah. making races more exciting is certainly going to help um, help those arguments or, or people go fine I'll go get my computer and I'll watch it yeah I think I think a lot more people are tuning in than uh, than expected as well because you could see the difference between yeah. the first the first week round and the second week um, mm-hmm. a lot more sponsor boards started appearing behind the the drivers <laughs> which weren't there previously yeah um, it was I think David Reynolds up, but... decided that it wasn't really his thing sorry mm. I was just going to say, it was yeah, cool so, to see um, that set up. See... There you go, Joel. So I was going to say, it was cool to see that set up with all the guys having those, you know, like you say, sponsor boards or TV screens set up with all the sponsor behind it. But, yeah, you're right. Reynolds decided to... Uh, yeah, exactly. All their friends around watching. <laughs> I, I, How many I do times find did it they funny, cut though? to Nick Percat's dog? Uh, yeah. <laughs> I think we... <laughs> I can't remember what its name was, but I think it, it featured. It got like ten uh, percent. I, I do find I, was. Yeah. yeah, I do. I do find it funny how um, the supercars drivers have and their sponsors have responded a lot faster, ensuring the they do have sponsor boards and everything like that, and even their cars have got you know mirroring their in-car setups um, that they would normally have when they do the you know the the dash shots. Um, whilst they're racing compared to if you look at George Russell um, Charles Leclerc Verstappen Lando Norris and if you look at that it seems it's so weird to see um, team Formula One teams and and um, and that that series as well you know those the, the, their virtual racing series be so relaxed in the other side when it's typically the sport that is you know it's it, it operates in a certain way and it has to ha- you know it's so commercial in that sense but apart from the drivers wearing their their uniform um, it's it's so weird to see 
supercars take a more formal and more structured approach than the Formula One guys being so relaxed in in, in their approach to, to yeah. the virtual racing. Yeah, have you guys caught up with the Formula One that much? Like, what's what's the racing like in that on that side? I haven't caught. I haven't caught any of it as yet. I did watch. Um, I uh, caught yesterday some iRacing uh, World Rallycross. Um, uh, yeah, some World <laughs> World Rallycross iRacing uh, that was coming out of the US. Chris Atkinson shared it on his page. He'd been competing, but unfortunately he got taken out early. So I caught the last race, but that was pretty good to watch. Um, again, a, a variety. It's interesting to see that a lot of them are running drivers, guest drivers. James Hinscliffe was running in this yesterday, which was interesting to see. Um, so that was pretty cool to to see that. But yeah, it uh, that's about the only other bit that I've caught uh, recently. Mm. Yeah. And in amongst uh, all of this uh, virtual racing, the one bit that doesn't stop with Formula One is obviously driver contracts coming to the end of, of, of this season. So we've got an, a huge number of drivers. So we've got, what is it? Um, we've got Vettel, who's probably uh, one of the key ones, Ricardo. Um, who else? Well, Bottas, is, is he coming up? As well, so it's it's a bit of a wild time for drivers to be coming into what they call like um, open season. Um, are we going to see drivers? Are we expecting drivers to change, or are we going to have drivers? Um, you know, are we going to have drivers just extend for one more year into 2021, or what do you think is going to happen with with those drivers? Typically, in the time that we see a lot of changing, I think a lot of them are sort of very much up in the air. So, so many of them are, are getting close to that end of you know that time of negotiation. But how can you negotiate when you've done nothing for the year? They haven't even actually yeah. you know they haven't had a race, so it makes it hard to to do that. So I think with the um, changes with the rules and everything being move forward a year I think mm-hmm. we'll probably see that um, everything will probably skip forward maybe those that you know they may just sign for a year um, because everyone's kind of waiting to see what happens with the new rule changes and now that they're pushed a year and if depending if we even get any racing or even if we don't get a championship in this year it kind of makes sense that if they were to, to push everything um, that everything's sort of in a holding pattern I think until we can get back racing really at the moment I, th- I reckon uh, <laughs> oh, I was Lewis really looking Hamilton forward to too. this He's year. Up. So I was, I was really looking Sorry, forward this year to seeing um, Sebastian Vettel prove himself mm. to stay in the Ferrari seat. Because, yeah. I mean, really, Charles Leclerc has been kicking him around the paddock, sometimes physically. Um, <laughs> But I, I really think that Vettel needed to show something pretty stellar this year for him to retain that red seat. Otherwise, here comes someone else. Maybe Daniel? Yeah. But again, this moves that whole discussion on maybe another 12 months. I don't know whether that's going to occur or not. But, um, you know, I was really looking forward to, to watching that Ferrari battle this year. Yeah, and just see whether he can whether he can prove it. That was the big thing. Yeah. Yeah. Look, it's uh, it's, well, it's going to be one of those things where we um, 
I think it's it's going to be an interesting conversation that happens over the next couple of months, particularly as yeah, more and more races get. Uh, I can't really say. I don't think it's the right thing to be saying anymore that they're going to be postponed because we're running out of time at the other end of the at the other end of the year um, to put you know, to schedule races in. But um, but we'll see. Um, yeah, it's going to be. We'll see more of that come through in the next few months, and um, yeah, we'll we'll keep and keep tabs up on that. And um, yeah, a, who knows? We could see a complete mixed bags. That's it. It could be a shaker fries. You know, you pull the drivers in, shake the bag, pour it out, and they come out in different uniforms. Who knows? Um, so I'm even think, thinking uh, if they actually get on the track. Like if they get on the track this year, is it going to be like, well, like the shops are going to be as soon as isolation's removed. Everyone's just going to be steaming down to that turn one, and I'm going to be <laughs> focused right on watching every second <laughs> of right. it. I'm, just, I'm dying for some Formula One racing. Dying. <laughs> Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it's yeah. been one big tease ever since that first uh, Friday. So, yeah, yeah. it's um, tough times for everybody. <laughs> but look, uh, let's let's wrap it up there. Um, we'd like to, to thank uh, everybody listening once again for tuning in for another week as we continue to discuss the news that happens here in Australia and around the world and um, if you do have any questions or anything like that um, or if you'd like to see us review um, a particular car you can always hit us up on social media at Daily Auto Fix or send us an email at shows at dailyautofix.com but uh, if you thank you, Joel and uh, Mick, you can follow Joel at Joel Strick Photo, Joel Strickland. Um, yeah, all of anything that he's sort of working on, he loves to share that, and it's a gr- good person to follow. And um, Low Flight Tech, if you want to follow Mick McWilliams on Instagram or Twitter as well, or even Facebook, um, to see everything that he's up to. Always, uh, particularly the hashtag Dead Car Names is a particularly <laughs> good reason to follow Mick. Um, as he, as he gets around town. Um, I'm Ash, and um, you can follow me at Daily Auto Fix to see everything that's going on. And until next time, thank you, guys, and uh, thank you to everybody at home, and we'll see you next week. Cheers. Bye.